just going to uh, pray again before we um, come to the Word of God. We are in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to, you can find that. It's not too difficult to find, to be fair, so it's an easy one. Um, but Father, we thank you that, we thank you, Lord, that you've you're with us always, that you never leave us, you never forsake us. We've declared that already um, this morning. And Lord, we want to pray now as we come to your word, as we just look at the, the wonder of creation, as we look also at your majesty and your power, that we would truly change our perspective of you. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and help us to keep ourselves centered on you. We pray that in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen. So we have arrived at this sort of last stage of creation. Um, we're in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's just read a few verses. It says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now this could be perhaps one of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture. And God says, let us make man in our images. And it raises a couple of difficult questions, I think. First of all, who is us? And secondly, what does God's image look like? So who's God talking to here in verse 26? Well, it's certainly not the angels. There's absolutely no mention of them here, and there's no suggestion anywhere in the Bible that we are made in the image of an angel. In fact, there is nothing and there is no one else in creation that can create alongside God. He has no equals and he has no rivals there's this exclusivity to God in his power, in his presence, in his glory, in his holiness that nothing and no one else can come close to. Isaiah chapter 40. So God, it seems, is actually consulting himself. I'm going to pick up again what Rob has previously explained, but God refers to himself here in the plural. So it's not I will make, but let us make. And if you remember, we've already said that the word used here for God in Genesis chapter 1, Elohim, is a plural word, word. But the Bible consistently insists that this plural, Elohim, refers to one God. So for example, in Genesis chapter 6 verse 13, God, Elohim, says to Noah, I am going to destroy the earth, not we are going to destroy the earth. So, so in Genesis 1, this word us, it's not a matter of grammar, it's a matter of theology. This verse emphasizes again that God's oneness involves diversity, this Trinitarian diversity, and it reinforces what we've already discovered, that the Creator God, though superior and separate from His creation, is at the same time present in creation through His Spirit, but also active in creation through His Word. But the creation of the first man is such an extraordinary occasion that it comes as a divine deli sort of deliberation among the persons of the Godhead, such as the wonder and the amazing complexity of the human body, mind, and spirit that only the wisdom of God could design it 
and only the power of God could create it. But what is even more remarkable is what God says about mankind's identity. You are to be the image and the likeness of God himself. And you're to do this by acting for God and ruling over the living things that God has made. Dominion and authority is given to you. But with authority comes responsibility. Again, we mentioned this last week, we must be good stewards of, over all that God has made, which means appreciating the gifts that we have in creation, not wasting or exploiting them. See, we can't honor the God of creation if we dishonor what he has made. And we must accept creation as a gift. We must guard it as a treasure. And we must invest in it for the glory and for the honor of God. So I want to just at this moment just want to tack on another verse, okay? Verse 27 goes on. It says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the truth that that statement that, the, that humans are made in the image of God is so important that in the, just in these two verses, 26, 27, it's repeated three times. And it's critical that we understand this unique creative truth. We are created in the image of God. Now, like the animals, the first man was formed from the dust of the ground. We'll see actually in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, which explains why our bodies, both human and animals, go back to the dust after death. However, humans and animals are very different. No matter how intelligent some animals may appear to be, or how much they are taught, animals are not bestowed with the image of God. Humans are unique in all of God's creation. Listen, you are special to God. You are intrinsically valued. You did not evolve by chance. You are handmade by God himself. And God shows his love to you by creating you in his image and likeness. So he created you with the freedom to choose whether to return his love or actually to reject his love. Listen, he doesn't use his power to manipulate or to coerce us. He gives us the freedom to choose life or death, relationship or separation, good or evil. But actually more of that in future weeks. So this idea of the uniqueness of humanity is under attack today. Society is very quick to tell us that actually we are no more than just the top rung of the animal kingdom. In fact, sometimes we're not even that. And although it's certainly true to say that sin has damaged our godly identity, however, it doesn't alter the fact that even a damaged painting is still worth millions of pounds if it's been created by the greatest of artists. So what does it look like for man to be made in the image of God? Just to clarify, when I say man, I'm talking about men and women, okay? It's a generic term, okay? So is this to do with our physical appearance? Is it to do with our moral behavior, or is it actually a reference to holiness and purity? Well, the honest answer is that Scripture is not completely clear. 
See, no one really knows what Adam and Eve looked like before sin entered into this world. And, and we will have to wait to heaven to fully understand what actually that really means. But that said, what can we say about being made in the image and the likeness of God? Well, it seems to have something to do with our morality, our spirituality, our legal status before God. I think all of those things are partially true. But perhaps it's helpful to think about it in this way. See, even today, images, whether they be paintings or portraits or sculptures, are created to display something about a person. So all over our country, there are statues of famous people that have been erected to remind us of the exploits, of the bravery, of the greatness of that particular person. So what if you were to create 7 billion statues of yourself? What does that say about you? Well, it says at the very least that you want to be noticed. Now listen, God wants to communicate how great he is. He wants to communicate who he is and what he is like. And we display something of the glory of God because we are made in the likeness of God. We display his image, however imperfectly. See, when sin entered into this world at the fall... It did not destroy the image of God. It certainly defaced God's image. Martin Luther puts it like this. Because of our sins, we are beggars. The truth is we, are, we have marred the image of God in our lives through sin. But listen, all is not lost. We see in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, that Noah, okay, Noah survived the flood. He's gone through the flood. Note this is after the fall. Sin has entered this into the world big time, in fact, but God uses the same phrase in Genesis chapter 9 as he uses in Genesis chapter 1. We are made in the image of God. The context of Genesis chapter 9 is actually in connection with these, the protection of human life. So it says, whoever shed human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. But the important bit is this, for in the image of God has God made mankind so we are created in the image of God, and yet despite our sinfulness and the sinfulness of humanity, we stay in the image of God. But perhaps there's not a thought on top of that. God's remarkable declaration, which will one day have the most remarkable, incredible outcome, unknown certainly to Adam or to Noah, a man will be born who will truly be the image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, because he is God himself, God with us, Matthew chapter 1, 23. Of course, you know your Bibles, and that, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this declaration. It's through faith in him that we see the restoration of God's people. But let's look at this from a slightly different perspective. And there's another helpful way of looking at this phrase, the image of God. This illustration is borrowed from John Piper. What do you think of yourself as being created as a mirror? In Northern Ireland, we say mirror, okay? But I've just adapted it for, for those less educated people among us. So uh, <laughs> apologies, apologies. So mirror is um, 
my best interpretation of an English version of Murr, okay? <laughs> so, um, so anyway, we are created as a, as a mirror, and this mirror is set at 45 degrees, and it's pointing upwards. And as the glory of God comes down, it reflects off at 90, view your physics, okay, 90, 45 degree mirror, straight down, bounces off 90 degrees, and it basically reflects the glory of God to the world around us. However, your sinful identity has caused you to tur turn this mirror upside down. So, that, so now the non-reflective surface is pointing towards God, and therefore it no longer reflects God's glory. Instead, the mirror casts a shadow on the ground in the shape of itself. And you have fallen in love with the shadow rather than God. In fact, we just continue to love ourselves ever since. But then in salvation, we are restored through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And two things happen. Firstly, the mirror gets turned the other way up, the right way round. And so we begin to see the glory of God once again. The second thing that happens, the defilement that is damaged and stained, the mirror gets wiped off and we begin to reflect God's glory. Listen, through salvation, we are shaped again into the image of God. So the image and the likeness of God means, it means imaging God so that you behave in a way, you talk in a way, you feel and you think in a way that draws attention to the brightness and to the glory of God. I like that definition. All and only as a result of the grace of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. Now, another thought, just as we just stay in verse 27 for another moment. You may have noticed, you may not have, but you may have noticed that in verse 27, the, it first mentions man in the singular. It says, in the image of God, he created him. But this first man actually represents all of us. That's why when Paul describes how sin entered this world in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he writes, through one man. Almost certainly a reference back here to Genesis chapter 1. So, so all of us are implicated in that sin because we all belong to the one man. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 adds and actually reiterates the same thought. In Adam all died. Of course, many people are sort of uncomfortable with that idea. We like to think of ourselves as individuals, but actually we still talk in that way in many situations today. So when Mo Farah won gold, the gold medal at the Olympics in the 10,000 meters, or when Andy Murray won, the, won Wimbledon, few Brits had any problem with saying, we won, and they're celebrating, we won, brilliant. So the, this thought, so through one man, we have all sinned. But Romans, of course, continues with the, the wonderful news. You see, the sin that came through one man's disobedience is overcome by salvation through one man's faithfulness, Romans 5, 19. And even though you face the judgment of sin because of your unity with Adam, you can be saved in your unity with Jesus Christ. 
Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So verse 27 shows us the unity of the human race as this single mankind. However, at the end of verse 27, we also read that, the hum- that humanity is also male and female. Not just for the purposes of the commandment to be fruitful and to increase, verse 28, but also together again to image the Godhead, both in his unity, but also in his diversity. And to demonstrate the relationship between God and his people. So listen to me. So both your gender and also your relationship with the opposite sex are actually significant because they are part of the image of God, revealing both the equality but also the diversity within humanity, meaning that we are all equal before God and yet wonderfully different at the same time. And we image something of the Godhead in that. Let's read on. Verse 28. Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living, living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seeds in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 30. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God tells mankind, like the animals, to be fruitful, to increase, and to fill the earth. However, there's a very important addition on top of that, for humans are also to rule over the animal kingdom. Now, everybody knows that There's a big difference between a good ruler and a bad ruler, but experience also teaches us that actually no ruler is also a really bad thing as well. Let me give you an example. Remember back in my school days and just the carnage that would ensue when our maths teacher would leave the classroom. See, he always seemed to struggle to control a class of 14-year-old boys, and, and one day he left us just to do some work by ourselves. Big mistake. So the plan was quickly put in action. The, the whole classroom was turned back to front, the other way around. The headmaster, or the, 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 um, the teacher's table was put to the back of the classroom. We, every single chair and table was turned the other, the other way around, facing the, the wrong direction. And then, just to add a nice little extra touch, someone discovered that inside a golf ball, that ball is filled with elastic bands, in fact, a long, long piece of elastic band. Try it sometime, guys. Um, and it literally, we basically wound it all the way through, wove through all the chairs and the tables, making it absolutely impossible for anybody to walk around the classroom. The only problem was that the mask teacher didn't come back in again, but the headmaster did. 
And unlike the Maz teacher, the headmaster ruled effectively and carried a great deal of authority. And we got into a great deal of trouble. In fact, we got into detention for, for some time. Listen, we need to rule with authority. It's God-given. And we must take the responsibility of this. We need to rule with this authority over creation. But of course, you need to be good rulers. Once again, this truth sort of grates on modern attitudes. You see, some skeptics have actually held verse 28 responsible for every environmental catastrophe that's ever happened. The logic is this that this verse has given Western man the excuse to plunder the planet. And there may well be some people who've abused God's creation actually and have misused Scripture even to justify the mistreatment and the damage of creation. But listen, a proper reading of Scripture shows how ridiculous and how crazy that idea and that interpretation is. The Bible is very, very clear. Mankind is to be the image of God. Therefore, the rule that we have been given is to reflect the way in which God rules. And he is, above all, the one who cares for his creation. Of course, people have abused the environment and the planet, but it's got nothing to do with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Rather, it reflects the way in which we have become corrupt rulers, bad rulers, often absent rulers. And we will see later on in Genesis chapter 3 and onwards that it's because of the unique superior um, authority of humanity over the rest of creation that we actually have the ability to wreck it. So, we don't stand under God's world as inferior to it, but actually nor do we stand over God's world as indifferent to it, but we stand in God's world as representatives of him. So what does Genesis 1 have to teach us? Well, let me just recap as we just sort of pull things together to finish with. The first thought is this. You are created by God. We are not products of some galactic accident, nor do I think that we are simply the top of an evolutionary ladder. God made us, which means we are his creations and we are wholly and completely dependent on him. For in him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17 verse 28. Second thought is this. You are created in God's image. See, unlike the, the animals, unlike the angels, humans have a very special relationship with God. He not only gives us personality, minds to think with, emotions to feel with, actually wills to make decisions, but he also gives us this inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him and to worship him. Listen, you are so valued by God. You are special before God. You need to know that. God has placed his love over each and every one of us. He loves you so much. Third thought is this. You are created to rule over the earth. Adam and Eve were the first to govern over God's creation. Psalm 115, 16 adds, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. 
But when sin entered into this world, Adam lost his authority, and actually we lost our authority, and now sin and death reigns over the earth. When Jesus Christ, the last Adam, came to earth, he exercised the dominion that the first Adam had lost. And he demonstrates that he has authority over the fishes, Luke chapter 5, over the birds, Matthew 26, over the animals, Mark 11. And when Jesus died on the cross, he conquered sin and death so that now grace reigns. And God's people can reign in life through Jesus Christ. And there's a day coming when Jesus Christ will return and he will perfectly restore to his own the dominion that was lost because of Adam. The fourth thought, which we mentioned last week and we we cannot pass over, is this. This wonderful, awesome creator deserves your worship, your praise, and your obedience. See, when God surveyed his creations, he said it was very good. This earth is a tiny little planet orbiting in a vast galaxy, and yet the earth is the Lord's, Psalm 24, verse 1. It is the one planet that he has chosen to visit and to redeem. And listen, just at this very moment, as the heavenly creatures before the throne of God are praising him for his creation, so should we. And we join with them in declaring, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive all glory, all honor, all power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Revelations 4, verse 11. Listen, our God is worthy of praise. He's worthy of all the honor. The one who created everything loves you and loves me. In fact, he gives us, we, we live in the image and the likeness of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. We're going to pray as we, we finish. Father, we thank you for the wonder of what you've made, Lord. We thank you, Lord, as we look around at this world that you've created, Lord. It's, it's just amazing. It's just incredible. But Lord, also, Lord God, the what you've done for each of us, Lord, it just blows our mind to think, Lord, that we carry something of the likeness, something of your glory, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord God, that that would burn brightly within us, Lord, that through Jesus Christ, as we walk by faith, as we walk in the, in the power of the Spirit, Lord, that we would be those that would reflect God to the world around us. Lord, we need you in this. We need your strength in this. But Lord, I would pray, Father, that we would honor you in the way in which we live our lives, but also in the way in which we look after your creation. That we would do it for your honor and for your glory. And we say all of this in your precious name, Lord. And we say, Amen. Amen.